0: WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Good afternoon, everyone. Father Campbell here for another Marian Hour in this um well, we're in the, I think this is the last week of May, isn't it? Uh, the last full week of May, at least. And we'll begin our show today with uh, my favorite Marian prayer, which is the memorari, if you would join me, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to Thy protection, implored Thy help or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. St. Philip Neri, whose feast we celebrate today, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I I thought today I would talk about a recent Marian Feast, and um, I'm going to turn to to Angela, who's sitting right across from me, and ask, do you know what recent Marian Feast we celebrated? I'll give you a hint right after the Feast of Pentecost this past Sunday. I would say Mary, Mother of God. Not actually, not Mother of God. We oh. celebrate her title Mother of God on January first, but it is her title, Mary, Mother of the Church. Oh, Mother of the Church. Yes, thank you. That is. Is this a Pope Francis feast, or is it? No, 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 then? no, no. Actually, um, well, well, yes and no. Um, Pope Francis put it on the on the calendar to be celebrated the day after Pentecost, very fittingly, because uh. Mary was there on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came through her, through unto the, the disciples. Uh, it's the birthday of the church, so to speak. But <coughs> the title "Mary, Mother of the Church" uh, goes back to the Middle Ages, and it was first used by popes. For example, and I'll be talking about one pope in particular, Leo the Thirteenth. Uh, he he talked about Mary under that title, Mother of the Church, and on November 21st 1964 at the end of the third session of the Second Vatican Council Pope Paul VI proclaimed Mary mother of the church and uh, this was very significant because uh, you know the the Second Vatican Council was actually Dedicated under the Blessed Virgin Mary, it began on October eleventh, nineteen sixty-two, and at that time, this was before the new uh, missile was was uh, put together. Uh, that was in nineteen the nineteen seventy missile with the changes. October eleventh was the feast of Mary, Mother of God. See, That's so. The thing. So the, the Second Vatican Council began on that feast, Mary, Mother of God, and <clears throat> at the end of the third session, as I said, November 21st, 1964, uh, Pope Paul VI proclaimed Mary as Mother of God, uh, you could say officially, okay, gave her this title, and This is why it appears in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Its most extensive teaching on Mary is found beginning paragraph 963 in the Catechism. And this is the first part of the Catechism, the profession of faith. And here in paragraph 6, under uh, the, the... first part of the Catechism, which deals with the Creed, basically. Uh, It's an uh, exposition of all the articles of the Creed. Paragraph 6 is titled, Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. And number 963 in the Catechism says this, Since the Virgin Mary's role in the mystery of Christ and the Spirit has been treated, It is fitting now to consider her place in the mystery of the Church. The Virgin Mary is acknowledged and honored as being truly Mother of God and of the Redeemer. Actually, the Catechism dealt with Mary as Mother of God, Mother of Jesus, Mother of the Redeemer earlier. And it goes on to say she is clearly the Mother of the members of the Church, that's us, all of us, since she has, by her charity, joined in bringing about the birth of believers in the church who are members of its head. So Mary, by her charity, uh, has cooperated in, in bringing about the birth of believers, Okay, that is, our baptism, our, our life in Christ. And then... Actually, that's a quote from Lumen Gentium, Chapter 8, the Constitution on the Church from the Second Vatican Council. And Chapter 8 of Lumen Gentium is the chapter that is dedicated to Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. And the Catechism was quoting that. And then it quotes Paul VI, who says, quote, Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church, Okay, this is Pope Paul VI's uh, discourse on November 21st, 1964. And, uh, you know, this was, you know, a, a significant proclamation by, by Pope Paul VI. And the Church moves, moves rather slowly. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're quite a few decades past this now. But Pope Francis, just a couple of years ago, you know by a decree wanted Mary to be celebrated under this title the day following Pentecost and so the Feast of Mary mother of the Church does not have a specific date because of that because you know depending upon when Easter falls um, 40 days after Easter is the Ascension ten days after that 50 days after Christ's resurrection is the, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that will differ depending upon the year, you know, when Easter is, is celebrated and 50 days after that. But always the Monday after Pentecost is the Feast of Mary, the Mother of God. And I celebrated that feast just, you know, two days ago. On the Monday after Pentecost now I I I want to talk a little bit about um, you know that title Um, Mary first of all we have to remember is a member of the church she's the first and preeminent member of the church because she was preserved from all stain of sin her Immaculate Conception And filled with grace at that time. And Mary is a member of the church. However, she is also the church's mother uh, because she is the mother of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, which is the mystical body. So, um, Mary is the mother of Christ. Christ is the head of the body Mary is the mother of all the members of the church now we have a, a clear you could say proclamation of Mary as the mother of the members of the church in the Gospels and I'll ask Angela who's the only one here in the in the studio with me today when when was it that Jesus uh, really announced that Mary was mother of all the members of the church do you remember at the foot of the cross? That's it, yes. Wow. He says to Mary, Woman, behold your son. Woman, that goes back to Genesis 3.15. The woman who will be cooperating with her seed, who is Jesus Christ, crushes the head of the serpent. So Jesus to Mary says, Woman, behold your son. And then to John who was not her natural son. He says, Behold your mother. And John represents all of us. So, Jesus confirmed this truth that was planned from all eternity that Mary would be the mother of God and would be our spiritual mother in the order of grace. And because she is mother of both the head and the member, she's mother of the church. The catechism goes on to say in number 964 uh, that Mary's role in the church is inseparable from her union with Christ. It directly flows from it. This union of the mother with the son in the work of salvation is made manifest from the time that she conceived Jesus, her virginal conception of Christ, up until his death. And then at the foot of the cross where Joining herself with her son's sacrifice in her mother's heart, she uh, is the cooperator, the associate with Jesus Christ in our redemption. That's why we can call her the co-redemptrix, understanding that it is in a secondary subordinate role that Mary cooperates with Christ In our redemption Jesus is the Redeemer okay he didn't need Mary but in God's plan Mary is joined with Jesus Christ from all eternity so um, Mary is the mother of Christ and then you know the catechism goes on to to talk about how she is our mother in the order of grace that's starting at paragraph 967 and it here it says by her complete Adherence to the Father's will, to his son's redemptive work, to every prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary is the church's model of faith and charity. She's the archetype of the church, or just to shorten that up, type of the church, um, an exemplary realization of the church. Mary's virgin and mother. The church is a virgin pure and a mother who gives birth to us Mary's motherhood precedes the church however as mother because she was mother of Christ before the church came into being and then in 968 we read how uh, in the catechism Mary's role in relation to the church and to all humanity goes still further in a wholly singular way she cooperated by obedience faith hope Burning charity and the Savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls. Well, this is talking about at the foot of the cross. They didn't use the term co-redemption or or associate with Christ, but this is what these words mean. And for that reason, she is a mother to us in the order of grace. And this motherhood of Mary in the order of grace this is 969 in the Catechism, continues uninterruptedly from the consent she gave at the Annunciation, let it be done to me as you say, which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect. Taken up into heaven, she didn't lay aside the saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. And therefore, she's invoked under titles, advocate, helper, benefactress, mediatrix. Okay, so um, now uh, I'll mention one other thing. Catechism uh, number 501 talks about how Mary generates and forms Christ in us, okay, as as our spiritual mother in the order of grace. And now, I, I have before me uh, a talk given by Pope Benedict XVI, Blessed Virgin Mary Theotokos and Mater Ecclesiae. Mater means mother, okay, um, in Latin, and Ecclesiae of the Church. It's the genitive of the Church. So, this talk, Blessed Virgin Mary, Theotokos means the God-bearer, and Mater Ecclesiae, Mother of the Church, was given by Pope Benedict XVI on October 11, 2010, in a homily at a special synod on the Middle East. And he said in this in this homily on October 11, 1962, 48 years ago, Pope Paul. Pardon me, Pope John the Twenty-Third, now Saint John the Twenty-Third, inaugurated the Second Vatican Council, and this was the feast—the feast of the Divine Maternity of Mary, okay? which was changed after the Second Vatican Council on the new calendar, at least to January first. Okay, and Pope John wanted to entrust the entire council to Mary's motherly hands, to the motherly heart of Mary. And then he goes on to say, um, talking about the title Theotokos, an audacious title, Mother of God. How can we say Mary's the Mother of God? Well, because the Son of God, while remaining God, became man. and He took a human nature, united it to himself, to his person. He's only one person, a divine person. That's why we call it a hypostatic union. Hypostasis is the Greek for person. And... Um, well, Benedict XVI goes on to say that the council began with the icon of the Theotokos, the Godbearer, okay, opening session on October 11th, 1962. And at the end, Paul VI acknowledged Mary with the title Mater Ecclesiae, mother of the church. Okay. so, um, And he goes on to say, So, from the believing church, Mary, with Mary at the center, is born the church, the body of Christ. So, with Mary at the center, the church, uh, the believing church, is born, uh, the body of Christ. And this twofold birth is the one birth of the total Christ, Christus totus, of Christ who embraces the world and us all. Okay, I'll take a little break now. We're coming to the end of our first segment of today's Marian Hour. We'll be back shortly. Thank you. Hello, I'm Juliana Taymarazi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council in Chicago. Our culture needs Catholic Radio as a tool for evangelization and catechesis. As a powerful platform, Catholic Radio brings Christ to us all and brings us closer to Christ. Get the real Catholic news from Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio six zero zero four eight donations of any amount are greatly appreciated Hello, this is Father Campbell. I am back for the second segment of the Marian Hour. And if you're just joining us, today I'm talking about the recent feast we just celebrated the day after the Feast of Pentecost this past Monday, the Feast of Mary, Mother of the Church. Uh, this is a title that has been around since the Middle Ages, popes have used it. Uh, Pope Paul VI, as I highlighted in the first segment of today's Marian Hour, proclaimed Mary Mother of the Church on November 21st, 1964, at the end of the fir- third session of the Second Vatican Council. And Pope Francis, a couple of years ago, issued a decree that the Monday following Pentecost would be the celebration of the Feast of Mary, Mother of the Church. And as I also mentioned in, in the, the first segment of today's hour, that, that date doesn't have a fixed date because there's always a fluidity to the, to the celebration of Easter, and uh, Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. So there's no fixed date for the Feast of Mary, Mother of the Church, but it always falls on the Monday after Pentecost, which it did just this past Monday because last Sunday was the Feast of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the Church. And how fitting that the Church Universal should celebrate Mary under this title Mother of the Church the day after Pentecost because Pentecost is the birthday of the church the Holy Spirit comes upon the Apostles pouring out his gifts and graces in their fullness and the Apostles go out and begin preaching and teaching and converting the nations carrying out the the Great Commission that Christ had given them at his ascension 10 days beforehand go out and preach to all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. Okay. So, I thought with the the remaining segments of my show, I I'll talk about an encyclical that was issued by Pope Leo the Thirteenth um, back in <clears throat> in eighteen. Uh, uh, 1894, I believe it was. Um, the name of the encyclical is in in the Latin treat Him, Populi, um, the the Helper or Great Helper of the People. Another popular title for this encyclical is Mary, Mother of Christian Unity. It was actually an encyclical on the Rosary. Pope Leo XIII wrote, I think, thirteen encyclicals on the Rosary. He, he wrote a lot of encyclicals and. And in this encyclical on the Rosary, he spoke of, of Mary, of course, and how she is the mighty helper, mightiest helper. That's how the encyclical begins, of the Christian people. And she's the mother of unity for all Christians. And he begins this encyclical... Um, after he says those initial words, the mightiest helper of the Christian people is the Virgin Mother of God. And he speaks of how Catholics have not failed to return to her the tender devotion with grateful hearts for all that Mary has done. You know, sodalities um, have been um, begun under her patronage. Uh, the, the Jesuits were the great promoters of the sodalities dating back to the late 1500s. And uh, we have magnificent temples, churches, basilicas uh, dedicated to Mary. Uh, we have, for example, Chartres, Notre Dame, which means Our Lady in French. Uh, we have to say a special prayer that they rebuild that in the way it was built originally, okay? Okay. And uh, in our own country, we have the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., the National Basilica. Um, we have so many churches, you know, great basilicas dedicated to Mary and, and individual churches. I have, I have a church. One of my two parishes is dedicated to Mary under the title Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So um, this shows people's faith um, in, in praising Mary, not worshiping her, adoring her, but you know she's she's honored. We can never honor Mary too much because we can never honor her more than her son does. So, um, so if anyone ever says, "Oh, you're honoring Mary too much," say, "No, no, I, I cannot honor her more than Jesus does." You know that'll shut them up. Okay. So, um, anyway, we we oh oh, and the Pope goes on to say, you know, pilgrimages are pilgrimages are undertaken uh, by throngs of devout souls to her most venerated shrines you know I've gone on shrine on on, pardon pardon me on pilgrimage to Marian shrines Uh, a few years ago I went with a group from my a couple of parishes uh, to Fatima and then uh, we went to um, Our Lady of the Pillar church in in um, um, Oh. Spain? In, in Spain, yes, in Spain, and then up to Lourdes. Um, so, we, you know, we have all these great places you can go on pilgrimage. You Father, know. which one touched you the most, personally? Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, Lourdes has its own special appeal. Um, but, you know, I, I Fatima, too, because I, I've been at both sites a couple of times. They both have... Uh, their own strengths, you could say, Uh, you know, both have these beautiful candlelight uh, vigils in the evening where people process. Um, At Fatima, you know, thousands process around the the huge square there with your your holding, you know, processing with Our Lady up on a bier. And uh, in fact, I Father Reese and I, of happy memory, who passed away, we were there together. We we we, we a, a friend of ours had had gone there years and arranged for us to carry Our Lady for oh. part of the way. You, you'd only carry part of the way because it's a heavy statue, so we walked I don't know a block or two, and then you know we he let someone else step in. But you know, Lords too is just beautiful with with you know they have a candlelight vigil where you know with people singing and. And praying, and so they're. they're Do you both feel her there? Oh, absolutely! Yes, yes, and um, uh, uh. yeah. We we have, and, and just so many places around the world. I mean, you, you see the faith. The most visited place of all is Guadalupe. Really? And yes. I mean, I think that's the most visited shrine in the world. More people go there, and I've been there and I've seen. You know, I mean, the, the huge square there and people coming to to venerate. Know the tilma with her image left on it, so you know Mary is um, is honored by our people, and that's what the Pope was talking about here. How you know, she, you know her shrines, people throng to them on pilgrimages, and congresses. Um, congress is a you know a, a formal gathering of usually theologians talking about Mary, uh, or or conferences. The I'll. I'll put in a plug here for the Maryological Society of America. We just held our conference the week before last. And we we hold one every year. Ours was supposed to be held in person (laughs) at Marytown this year, but because of the COVID, uh, people didn't want to travel. And um, so we ended up canceling it, but it's going to be there next year. And and the dates are, I think it's the third week of, of May, from Tuesday through Friday, but we uh, we did ours virtually. And um, in fact, I presented a paper at that on on, on um, how Mary uh, is the, uh, the the memory of, of the Word of God. That was a, a phrase used by uh, Pope Saint John Paul II. And there were a number of wonderful talks on on the Blessed Virgin Mary um, and. Um, those are published as usually at a Marian Congress or a conference. Papers are delivered by theologians, and then uh, those papers are are published. Their their talks are published in in a volume. And the Mariological Society of America has a website, and people can go there and just you know download or pardon me. Um, they can click on um, the MSA, and then you can get to um, um, there's a uh, one of the icons on this the Mariological Society of America website. You can click on uh, Marian Studies, and that's the the published papers every year, and they're electronic. Uh, everything is electronic now. We used to publish hard copies, but you can read you know papers that have been delivered on various topics. Usually, the the theme of of uh, a conference is is announced, and then papers are delivered on that theme. This year, it was Mary and the Word of God in Scripture. That was the theme, and um, but you can go back uh, on on and look at the website and and just read papers going back for for. You know, I think all the way back to the beginning from, from the 1950s, when the Maryological Society of America was founded, Wow. and read the papers. Wow. We're, we're a little behind. You you wouldn't see the papers delivered at this year's conference. It'll be a couple of years out. It takes some time. And we're getting caught up on a couple of years. I think we just published 2016. We're working on 2017, and 18 and 19, and 20 but, and 21. But there's so. no charge. No, there's no charge. They're all free. Can, yeah, they're, yeah, I was no, looking can, at it. Yeah, you can look up. You wow. can look at at the the, the MSA. Yeah. Um, Marion Studies, and you can see what the theme is, and and you can you know look at the papers. You can download the papers and and and, and 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 read them. Yes. Yeah, so it's a it's a great resource it for is. to make Mary better known. That's the that's the purpose of the Maryological Society of America, <laughs> to to make Mary better known and loved. Um, And, uh, you know, most of the papers are theological, but also devotional. We want to encourage devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Devotion feeds good theology, and and good theology helps to um, spur devotion to Our Lady. So both go hand in hand. Anyway, having said all that, I'm glad I got to talk about the MSA. I don't think I've talked about that any time previously, but, yeah, you can... Um, go on and and uh, you know if if one of the the themes of the year interests you from Marian Studies, you know just you know look at that, look at the papers that were delivered that year, and um, you know it's all free. It's it's you know, no charge. But there was an imprimatur on the. I just happened to look at 1957. There was an imprimatur. Do all those papers have to have imprimatur. Wouldn't that slow it down? Uh, no, usually we. Uh, the the they're they're screened before they, they are published. Okay, ah. so uh, by theologians. So you know, there's I don't think there's a problem with, with any of the theology in in the um, the papers that appear in the Marian Studies. So and actually uh, the Marian if if for a paper to appear in Marian Studies now. Uh, it's it's peer-reviewed okay it's a, a peer-reviewed journal so we're you know the the initial the editor who is dr. Robert fastigi um, you know he'll read it and then pass it on to at least one other reader sometimes too and you know ask for comments and sometimes you know things would have to be you know clarified or whatever and then you know it's a peer-reviewed journal now it's been a peer-reviewed journal for a couple of years and and um, that you know, adds more prestige to it. I, you know, amongst academic circles, and it it, it is, you could say, uh, an incentive for for people to deliver papers because then they could put that on a resume. You know that you know, my paper was published in a peer-reviewed journal, the Mariological Society of America. Um, um, Marian Studies is, is is the title of of the. The Journal, which publishes the MSA uh, proceedings and the papers that were delivered. So now to to deliver a paper live is one thing, and then to (laughs) write it out is another thing. So uh, not every paper that's delivered is necessarily published, because sometimes people just don't, they they never get it written, you know, because you can't, we only have like a half hour to present a paper, so you're only presenting a portion of the paper, okay, um, and then you have to write it out, and oh. sometimes people don't don't have the discipline to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I want to talk today uh, for the remainder of this segment, and then the next segment about Pope Leo the Thirteenth's encyclical um, audio Pope Leo, um, you know, as I say, he begins the. The mightiest helper of the Christian people is the Virgin Mother of God and and he talks about how you know all forms of devotion to the Blessed Virgin um, are are wonderful especially the rosary this was a rosary encyclical and then and this is why I'm talking about this today this encyclical in paragraph six of the encyclical um, he says this um, that the dying savior bequeathed his mother to his disciple John, behold thy son. And in John, as the church has constantly taught, Christ designated the whole human race. And in the first rank, above all the human race, are those who are joined with Christ by faith. Okay, so all Christians. She's especially the mother of all Christians. And he quotes St. Anselm of Canterbury, medieval saint, late medieval uh, 12th century. What dignity, O Virgin, could be more highly prized than to be the mother of those to whom Christ deigned to be father and brother? And then he says, with wonderful care, Mary nurtured the first Christians by her holy example her authoritative counsel, her sweet consolation, her fruitful prayers. She was, in very truth, the mother of the church, the teacher and queen of the apostles, to whom, besides, she confided no small part of the divine mysteries which she kept in her heart. Now, what does that mean? That means that Mary was communicating things that she retained in her heart. Who tells us that she kept things in her heart? St. Luke, twice in his Gospel. After the birth of Christ, after he was lost, they found three days, after lost three days in the temple. Luke tells us Mary kept these things, pondering them in her heart. Okay, and then Mary shared these memories of Christ with the Apostles. That's where Luke gets his information for the Annunciation, for the Visitation, for the birth of Christ. This time I'll take a break, I will return for the third segment shortly. Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell. We are back for the third segment of the Marian Hour. And today, I'm talking about Mary, Mother of the Church, this title that originated in the Middle Ages. Popes used, I just quoted Pope Leo XIII in one of his rosary encyclicals, Audiotricem Populi, from, I think this was 1894, if I'm not mistaken. And, which basically means, the Latin translated means, Mightiest Helper of of the Christian People. Okay, the Helper of the People. And the encyclical also goes by the title, Mother of Christian Unity. Uh, Pope Leo XIII, and if you look up the encyclical on the Vatican website, which you can do, just go to the Vatican website, type in vatican.va, and... Uh, you can get the Vatican website, or just type in <laughs> the word "adu a d i u t r i c e m. Okay, uh, "adu and it'll come right up the English translation. And um, number six of the encyclical, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, talks about how Mary is in truth the mother of the church he used that title um, which just to reiterate once again paul vi used this title of mary proclaimed it officially at the end of the third session of the second vatican council on november 21st 1964 and pope francis proclaimed a feast under this title to be celebrated the day after Pentecost and this is the feast we celebrated this past Monday anyway Pope Leo the 13th speaks of Mary mother of the church and teacher and Queen of the Apostles she taught the Apostles formed them and confided says the Pope no small part of of the divine mysteries which she kept in her heart. So this is where the apostles, you know, learned of, uh, you know, Mary's conception of Jesus. No one would have known this besides the Virgin Mary about the Annunciation, the Visitation, so on and so forth, the birth of Christ. And in number seven of this encyclical, Pope Leo XIII says, It is impossible to measure the power and the scope of Mary's offices since the day she was taken up to that height of heavenly glory in the company of her son, to which the dignity and luster of her merits entitled her. What's he saying there? Well, Mary deserved to be taken up to heaven in the company with her son because she merited this by her fiat conceiving Jesus, her second fiat at the foot of the cross, her life of total dedication to Christ. The Pope goes on to say, from her heavenly abode, Mary began by God's decree to watch over the church, this was after her assumption, to assist and befriend us as our mother so that she, who was so intimately associated with the mystery of human salvation, is just as closely associated with the distribution of graces, which for all time will flow from the redemption. Mary was associated with the mystery of, of our redemption at the foot of the cross, and she is therefore associated with the distribution of those graces from all time. Which flow from the redemption. So, what does this mean? Well, uh, Mary, as as the Pope says, uh, taken up into the height of glory in the company of her son. You know, by divine decree, in other words, Mary is center stage. Alongside her son Jesus Christ, who is the center. Okay? But Mary is in the center with him. Okay, in the company with Jesus. He's the king. She's the queen. That's what he's teaching here. Okay. Very clearly. Now remember that because I'm going to talk about this in just a couple of minutes. Return to that idea again. In paragraph eight of the encyclical, Leo the Thirteenth talks about how Mary is the help of Christians. That's a great title of Mary. He says, The power put into her hands is all but unlimited. Isn't that marvelous? All but unlimited. In other words, it's it's almost infinite, okay? God has given her a share in the distribution of the graces that flow from the redemption. And so this power put into her hands is all but unlimited, almost infinite. It would be the same thing, essentially, okay? He goes on to say, Christian souls are right, therefore, when they turn to Mary, For help, as though impelled by an instinct of nature. Okay, if you're if you're a faithful Catholic, you have just an instinct to turn to Mary in time of need. He says confidently, sharing with her their future hopes, their past achievements, their sorrows, their joys, commending themselves like children to the care of a bountiful mother. How rightly too as every nation, every liturgy, without exception, acclaimed her great renown. Okay, And among her titles are Our Lady, Our Mediatrix, the Reparatrix of the Whole World, Christ is the Reparator, she is the Reparatrix, she cooperated in the work of redemption and reparation for sins with Jesus. Okay. And then he says, "The dispenser of all heavenly gifts. Okay, she's the mediatrix of all the grace of Christ." Now, um, he goes on to say in paragraph nine, he quotes Saint Germanus of Constantinople, one of the great lines of uh, one of the early fathers of the church, uh, great saint. Um, He says. This is from Saint Germanus of Constantinople, who was called the 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 Doctor of Marian Mediation. Okay, um, and he says this: "O Virgin, most holy, none abounds in the knowledge of God except through thee." In other words, you can't grow in knowledge of God except through Mary. She's the Mediatrix of all grace. Okay, none. O oh, Mother of God attains salvation except through thee. Because if she's the mediatrix of all the grace of Christ, you're not getting to heaven without her. doesn't matter if you don't believe that. That's the objective truth. None receives a gift from the throne of mercy except through thee. Now, that's St. Germanus of Constantinople, the doctor of Mary's mediation. And this is what Pope Leo XIII quotes in his encyclical. And he goes on in number 10 to say, it is no exaggeration to say it is due chiefly to her leadership and help that the wisdom and teachings of the gospel spread so rapidly to all the nations of the world in spite of great difficulties, most cruel persecutions. Okay, And that's right from the beginning because Mary was there praying with the church. You know, she was praying with, with and for the apostles. She beheld him in her mind and heart. Okay? See, uh, the Venerable Mary of Agreda says this that she she was able to see through infused knowledge. God gave her this knowledge. All the apostles, whatever they were doing, she was praying for them to spread the gospel. Now, after she got to heaven, of course, she's able to see everything in seeing God, and she continues this work, okay? So, and the Pope then quotes another father of the church, St. Cyril of Alexandria, a prayer that he addressed to the Virgin Mary. And I quote, Through you, the apostles have preached salvation to the nations. Through you, the priceless cross is everywhere honored and venerated. Through you, Mary, the demons have been put to rout and mankind summoned back to heaven. Through you, Mary, every misguided creature held in the thrall of idols is led to recognize the truth. Through you have the faithful been brought to the laver of holy baptism and churches have been founded among every people okay so um, that is um you know a powerful statement again of of mary's greatness and really a, a, a testament of her mediation of the grace of christ you know throughout the whole church and then he goes on to say paragraph 11 if it's encyclical, Leo the Thirteenth. This is okay. Um, nay, she has even, as the same Doctor of the Church, Saint Cyril of Alexandria, claims. Okay, upheld and given strength to the scepter of the Orthodox faith. In fact, Orthodox meaning the true faith. Okay, unadulterated faith. Okay, it has been her unremitting concern to see to it that the Catholic faith stands firmly lodged in the midst of the people, there to thrive in its fertile and undivided unity. Many and well-known proofs of her solicitude manifested at times in a miraculous manner in the times and places in which to the Church's grief Faith languished, okay, the scourge of heresy came. Our great lady in her kindness was ever ready with her aid and comfort. Okay. So anytime the church was attacked, okay, you turn to Mary. Now what is said here by the Pope is very important because remember I said a minute ago that Mary uh, you know, in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, is in center stage alongside her son. Okay? Well, what the Pope is saying here is that, in paragraph 11, that, you know, the orthodoxy of the Church depends upon Mary, too. And what what does that mean? Well, it means that if Mary is taken off center stage along with Christ— and, you know, if she's thrown to the side, so to speak, cast off or ignored, the Church will suffer gravely, okay, in its faith, in its practice of the faith. Now, this is what happened after the Second Vatican Council. Okay? Why? Well, I'm trying to understand that, Father, because you said in the beginning that the Second Vatican Council started on her feast day. It was dedicated to herself. Yes. What happened? What happened? Well... I was just about to say what happened. Okay, yes, the the Second Vatican Council began on the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. That was October 11th then, okay. Paul VI proclaimed her Mary, Mother of the Church, at the close of the third session. We had this document on Mary, Chapter 8 of Lumen Gentium, the Constitution on the Church. The last chapter, 8, dedicated to Mary. But after the Second Vatican Council, Mary was shoved off to the side. Um, one of the reasons for this was uh, what is known as historical criticism. Biblical scholars okay, they approach the scriptures with a skeptical mentality. In fact, Pope Benedict XVI, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, spoke of this in a great address he gave called the uh, Erasmus Address in 1988, where he says many scripture scholars um, approached the scriptures with an erroneous philosophical mindset that denied, basically, that God acted in, the, in in the world okay this is like this deistic view of God that that God doesn't act in the world and um, therefore that the the accounts for example of of the Annunciation the birth of Jesus are not factual they were just kind of made up by people what they did was uh, to get this theory fully fleshed out, I'm going to say this, that they, they proposed the idea that the Gospel texts weren't written until the way late at the end of the first century, not by the eyewitnesses or those who spoke with eyewitnesses, the people whose names are on the Gospels, but by anonymous authors who made things up about Jesus. Okay. So if you, if you are saying this about the infancy narratives, you know, the conception, the birth of Jesus, um, well, then you're, you're basically saying that this is all a myth about how Mary conceived Jesus, how she gave birth to him. This undermines the faith and devotion to Mary. That's one problem. Okay? The other problem, which I think was even greater, more grave, was a false ecumenism. Ecumenism is, is, you could say, the motivating force, I think, behind the whole Second Vatican Council. At least, it was a great force. It influenced all the documents. And uh, there, were, there were many bishops who wanted p- to proclaim Mary as the mediatrix of, of all grace. But uh, there was a fear that this would offend the Protestants who were invited to the Second Vatican Council. And this false ecumenism, which followed the Second Vatican Council, resulted in Mary being shoved off. In fact, one of the, uh, before the council, one of the um, well-known uh, theologians who was at the council, named Carl Rahner, a Jesuit, uh, wrote a piece back in, in 1951 saying that Mary should be taken out of the center and, and put not on the peripheries but somewhere in, in between you know, because she's, we can't you know, have her in, in the center stage with, with Christ. okay? And this mentality permeated many people. And this is why, I mean, some priests, you know, after the Second Vatican Council, you know, they were actually taught badly in the seminary that, you know, we can't be talking about Mary anymore because this will well, pro- inhibit, you know, our, our good relations with the Protestants. You know, I've, I've heard stories, and people have told me they saw priests ripping apart rosaries in front of, of people after the Second Vatican Council. Mary was kind of shoved off to the side, and the church suffered because of this, Okay. Jesus is not pleased when when Mary is put off to the side. No, we can never speak too much of Mary or give her too many praises. Okay, uh, "namquam satis" is the, the Latin saying. You can never say too much. So um, that's basically what uh, the Pope is is saying here. That you know Mary is needed to to fight the heresies. and There have been plenty since you know the Second Vatican Council. Many attacks on on the the authentic teaching of the church in morality, in, in dogma, so on and so forth. Okay? So, um, having said that, I'm going to move on here, okay? Because I've just got about a minute left, okay? Uh, number 12 in this encyclical, Auditrichum Populi Popoli, Popolio the 13th, says, Under Mary's inspiration, strong with her might, great men were raised up, illustrious for their sanctity, for their apostolic spirit to beat off attacks of wicked adversaries. You know, he speaks of one, St. Dominic, okay? He promoted the rosary. Well, we can think of St. Louis de Montfort, too, who said, at the end times, the great saints will be the Marian saints, okay? And I'll just, I see I just have about a minute left. I'll, I'll just quote from number 16 from the encyclical. Pope Leo Thirteenth says that, um, you know, we have this one profession of faith that unites the minds and hearts of the Christian faithful in peace and harmony, this bond of, of charity um, and, and faith. Mary has to be the mother of this unity to bring all Christians together, okay? That's what we want. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, and under one head, one earthly head. So true ecumenism should lead those who are not Catholic to the Catholic Church. Okay. That's what it should do. Anyway, I'll, I'll end with that statement. and Your priestly um, blessing, Father. We, we fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our prayers and our necessities, but ever deliver us from all danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Ma- and may Almighty God bless you through the intercession of Mary, her Immaculate Heart, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.